this week in SCPA for the week ending May 19, 2017, episode 53, T.I. Left My Heart in San Francisco edition. This week, Jay and I have a wide-ranging discussion on some of the week's top compliance and ethics-related stories. We discuss Brazilian President Temer comes under corruption fire, the continued turmoil at FIFA as FIFA's ethics watchdogs quit in protest after their chairman was fired. We address the question of should ethics and compliance be wedded together and discuss a new report by the Institute of Business Ethics and the Ethics Institute, which considers these issues. We touch upon the Fat Leonard scandal, which lands U.S. Navy Rear Admiral Robert Gilboa in jail, or rather in prison, with a sentence of 18 months. We consider that fully one-third of all open FCPA investigations involve Brazil, while only 17% involve China. We note the Astros have the best record in baseball and ask the question of whether they will regress to the mean. We consider the uh, inevitable NBA Finals between the West Coast, Golden State Warriors, and the Cleveland Cavaliers. We have an extended conversation about Comtech, which of course is compliance technology and AI and technology in your compliance program. Jay previews his weekend report, and I would note that it's not too late to join me at Compliance Week 2017, which will be held next week, Sunday through Wednesday, at the Mayflower Hotel in Washington, D.C. If you would like to attend, there's still a discount available to you, and you can go to the show notes for the discount code and it also has the registration link. This is Tom Fox. Thank you very much for listening to This Week in FCPA. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to This Week in FCPA, episode 53 for the week ending May 19th, 2017, the I Left My Heart in San Francisco edition. As always, I'm joined by my co-host and cohort, Jay Rosen, Mr. Monitors. Jay, why don't you explain to the audience why uh, we have uh, I Left My Heart in San Francisco edition this week. Thanks, Tom, and uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, I am coming to you live or in San Francisco, and I am attending the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics, San Francisco Regional Compliance and Ethics Institute. So uh, I am in San Francisco, and believe it or not, it's supposed to be hotter here in San Francisco in the low 90s than it will be in Los Angeles today. So uh, my heart is here in San Francisco, and uh, Tom and I look forward to uh, taking you through the next few minutes and talking about the uh, relevant FCPA uh, stories that hit our radar this week. So I was in Philadelphia earlier this week, and uh, on Wednesday it hit 90, and they were complaining to me that, oh, my gosh, it was 90 degrees. And I just looked at them and said, a, a nice, cool May day. What are you complaining about? <laughs> so, uh, yes, yes. Well, Jay, we had uh, some interesting uh, stories this week um, that I think may have some very long-term implications for uh, global politics, global anti-corruption, and uh, kind of a plethora of issues. I'd like to start with a just – uh, bombshell revelation around uh, the Brazilian president, um, Michel Temer, where uh, he's alleged that he condoned bribes to silence a key witness uh, in the uh, car wash investigation. And the articles uh, that I've read said that, uh, you know, if this allegation is true, it's not a matter of uh, 
if he'll resign or but when. And um, the Brazilian uh, uh, economy just rolled, roiled over this news. Uh, the stock market uh, dropped uh, 10% in one day. Um, I'd like to kind of wed that to a report in the uh, FCPA blog today that uh, noted that of all of the 104 open FCPA investigations, um, fully one-third, or rather almost one-third, 30, are uh, involve the country of Brazil. And I could contrast that with uh, China, which had 17, so less than 17% in China, and uh, 30 in Brazil, almost one-third of the list. So it shows how bra uh, widespread, uh, unfortunately, uh, corruption was uh, in Brazil and what the effect the car wash investigations having. I've had several guests on the uh, my podcast, the FCPA Compliance Report, over the past couple of years to talk about Operation Car Wash and its implications for Brazil. And I think certainly uh, uh, if you have done business in Brazil in the past five to ten years, you you and you're an American company, you really need to. Uh, take a look at your business model to see if there are any places where money could have bled out to pay bribes and uh, clean that up because uh, it is not going away. I, uh, I think the uh, cynic in me uh, is reminded of uh, Captain Renault's remark in Casablanca and gambling in Casablanca. It's almost like, you know, Corruption in Brazil, it's, uh, the numbers really do prove it out. And uh, as you said, Tom, uh, there, there definitely are some um, far-reaching effects. So speaking of uh, gambling in Casablanca, we also had uh, uh, related news on the New England Patriots this week that uh, Tom Brady played 2017 with a concussion. And uh, the news came not, of course, from Tom Brady or the Patriots, but from his wife. So... Uh, you know, on one level, it's uh, certainly a violation of NFL policy to uh, not report injuries. Um, on the other hand, if that's how he plays an entire season, concussed, my gosh, uh, how much better can he be? <laughs> uh, right before uh, we got on the air, there was this uh, commercial that I haven't seen, and it's very cloak and dagger, and they're taking Tom Brady all around this hotel, and then they bring him to a beauty rest mattress, and they said, will you be needing anything else? And he's, he's like, no, I'm fine. So uh, I, I, I don't know what that's all about, but um, I think, uh, you know, Belichick is always very, uh, I guess, not, not deceptive, but he, he always plays to the letter of the law with regard to the injury report. And um, there is a info, infomatic out there showing the 17 um, different injuries that Brady has claimed over his years in the NFL, and uh, none of them were concussions. So someone did bring up the possibility that he could have been concussed in practice, or you know there there would have been something that may have happened. Uh, you you would think for the years he played, and you know he didn't take the abuse that Romo did, but when you're a quarterback. You're pretty vulnerable, so uh, I'm I'm not surprised by um, by the story, but it'll be uh, I'm sure people will be pouring over those Patriots in injury reports now and trying to see if there's uh, there there might be some fire where there's smoke. 
You know, it's uh, it's gratifying to hear you justifying yet once again the actions of Bill Belichick and the Patriots. You are just the most incredible homer. So well, I, uh, I thought there's a nicer way. I thought you've always called me an apologist. <laughs> Maybe you're the self-proclaimed homer. So uh, go, go Pats. No, that was a doe as in Homer Simpson. Oh, okay. So uh, we had a very interesting report that came out from the Institute of Business Ethics and the uh, Ethics Institute, which considered the pairing of ethics and compliance. And the first interesting thing about it was that it was funded by the Canadian-based engineering and construction firm SNC-Lavalin, which, of course, was hit by allegations of improper payments by top executives that led to accounting charges and the departure of the former CEO back in 2012. Um, it's quite a lengthy report, and uh, they had some interesting uh, uh, really comments and thoughts around it that they pointed out that um, where uh, ethics and compliance generally have the same goals, they certainly differ in approach with ethics focused on embedding a common set of values and letting workers exercise their own personal judgment. And compliance tends to be a little more uh, legal and rule-based uh, by spelling out what can and can't be done. And certainly they uh, overlap, but the report found that each function had its own set of skills, making it difficult to often find an individual who can successfully lead both. So I thought that was uh, very interesting. Um, they uh, provided uh, some uh, different prescriptions or prescriptions and the solution. So um, we're going to link to this in the show notes, and I would uh, urge everyone to uh, take a look at it. Ben DiPietro wrote a very uh, good summary in the uh, Wall Street Journal Risk and Compliance Journal. Uh, as always, been uh, great reporting. So uh, it's in there uh, as well, and I'll uh, link to uh, Ben's uh, report of the report uh, in the show notes. Um, on the um, uh, not so good front, if if that's a phrase. We had even more fallout, Jay, from the Fat Leonard uh, scandal involving uh, the U.S. Navy, and that's where um, a uh, fleet um, service company, the Glenn Defense Marine Asia Company, which provided, provided logistical support to the uh, Navy's 7th Fleet in Southeast, Southeast Asia from 2006 to 2014, and uh, paid bribes to uh, uh, a, a plethora of naval officials um, to obtain over $35 million in profits. The, um, at to date, the scandal comes to uh, uh, the total number of people charged include uh, two, 27, two admirals, 15 other senior active Navy officers, uh, NCIS special agent, two contracting supervisors, and there's another 200 individuals who uh, remain under scrutiny by the prosecutor, uh, Rear Admiral Robert Gilboa, uh, was actually sentenced to prison for uh, 18 months in his role in the scandal. And Sarah Grant, writing in the uh, Global Anti-Corruption blog, uh, noted uh, really uh, the obvious, which is this was not uh, a single or, or small incident. This was a full-fledged cultural problem, not just a case of a few bad apples. And she goes on to uh, pro uh, give uh, several prescriptions that um, – the Navy could certainly use uh, to go forward. So uh, a very bad scandal, a huge tarnishing of uh, one of America's uh, great institutions, the United States Navy. So uh, we'll have to see how that uh, continues to play out. 
and uh, kind of uh, going back across the globe, Jay, um, last week we talked about FIFA and how it had um, uh, summarily dismissed the two top investigators. Well, now it turns out that their staff has um, quit in protest uh, over these uh, sackings. So um, really uh, continual turmoil at FIFA. It's not just in the United States that we see turmoil. And really what this means for FIFA going forward at, at this point, uh, unfortunately, is, is, or is an open question whether the U.S. government will accept uh, FIFA's um, decisions to really just gut their entire uh, investigative staff when uh, there apparently still were uh, open investigations. Um, I have to note that the uh, Houston Astros have the best record in baseball yet again, uh, coming in with a s- astounding 707 uh, winning percentage. So, um, you know, go Astros. Uh, if you're a betting man, uh, do you bet that they continue this or if they're going to regress to the mean? I explore that uh, in a blog post this week. Um, and then uh, for those basketball fans out there, the inevitable is coming. The first ever three-year consecutive run of uh, two teams, same two teams in the championship game, the rubber match between the Cleveland Cavaliers and uh, Golden State Warriors. I don't know, uh, you know, where uh, if you got a dog in this hunt or not, Jay, and how you shake out on the uh, the basketball, since um, of course the Cavs will summarily dispatch your. Uh, your Celtics and uh, my Rockets were dispatched by the team that uh, Golden State's about to dispatch. But I would say they are the two clear heavyweights in this. And uh, frankly, I'm looking forward to just a, a heck of a finals uh, in the NBA. Yeah, I agree with you. I think uh, it's uh, it's it's a long season in the NBA. And I think both those teams, um, Golden State and Cleveland, uh, played really smart. They've uh, protected their best players to uh, make sure they're around for the finals. And, you know, this, this is uh, going back to like Lakers Celtics. It's, it's nice to see this rivalry build up and, and continue over time. So I do not um, have a, a horse in the race. Uh, there is a lot of West coast sentiment for uh, golden state. And I am in the uh, city by the bay. So I guess, uh, I'd like to see it swing back to uh, Steph Curry and his mates. So, Jay, I wanted to spend a little bit of time uh, talking about um, compliance tech. Uh, I've been thinking about artificial intelligence and technology, big data, data analytics, data analysis for uh, you know many, many months. Uh, Matt Kelly and I explore this uh, topic quite a bit, or at least frequently, in our podcast, Compliance Into the Weeds. I recorded a podcast with Roy Snell yesterday where we um, discussed uh, AI and compliance going forward. You have worked in an industry or in a company uh, that really utilized um, uh, technology, uh, if not artificial intelligence. So I wanted to kind of explore this topic a little bit, get your thoughts, and really see um, if you uh, if you see a way for uh, AI going forward in compliance in things like uh, uh, monitorships and some of the work that you're doing now. So what I saw was, or what I see rather, is a um, a use of technology to get uh, arms around a uh, handle on large amounts of data. Uh, whether that be uh, financial data, whether that be uh, uh, words, language 
as data, or that be emails as data, uh, and uh, giving uh, either a lawyer or a compliance practitioner a way to sift through that data and uh, either find red flags that need to be uh, uh, more fully investigated or more uh, fully looked at or uh, some, something along those lines, or something that might uh, be so nefarious that uh, you know perhaps a, a full stop should uh, happen. And uh, I see um, uh, com- uh, compliance tech uh, most clearly in um, around AML, uh, financial uh, controls, not only for financing and the, and the payment and shipment of money, but in um, taking a look at uh, the people you're sending the money to, the ultimate beneficial owners, um, utilizing uh, Comtech in uh, the area of mergers and acquisitions, particularly on the pre-merger uh, slash pre-acquisition side where you get a big data dump generally and you have a limited time to look at the numbers or any of the information so that uh, AI and uh, Comtech can be used to, to uh, really parse through a large data dump and try to get down to the few uh, things that you really need to investigate in the short time that you have to investigate it. Uh, certainly with third parties in the supply chain, uh, every company has a, a 10 or 50 or maybe even 100x factor of uh, third parties that come into their contractual relationship in the supply chain as opposed to uh, third-party sales agents. So getting a handle on uh, your third parties uh, in the supply chain. And finally, even things like uh, that may be closer, a little bit closer to the things you've directly had experience with, Jay, and in the use of AI to review contracts to see if there are any non-standard compliance clause uh, terms and conditions. the same could be uh, uh, tr- uh, held true for joint ventures or partnerships uh, where you're looking at a large number of contracts and you're trying to identify the compliance terms and conditions that need to be reviewed. So that's just sort of my uh, kind of initial thoughts. But uh, where do you see AI and ComTech now and where do you see it, it maybe going in the future? Great question, Tom. Uh, I think one of the things, first of all, that I just kind of have uh, – gleaned in in my probably you know 10 to 15 years being around this from an investment banking perspective from a virtual data room perspective from a translation perspective is quite often uh people are are saying that oh we don't have time to do all this you know we need to close the deal we 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 need to get this over the finish line and i think you know if if you look at moore's laws and things like that uh, computing power is always getting, uh, you know, more powerful. Capacity increases, prices drop down. So I don't think there is any longer an excuse that we don't have the time to do this. I think it's really about volition and it's about choice. And if you're gonna go into an M&A transaction, or if you're gonna do business with a, with a joint venture partner. And, you know, the numbers speak. So if you're in Brazil and you're in China, if you don't uh, take the extra uh, time to investigate or spend the extra hundreds or thousands of dollars to properly vet a partner, then whatever happens to you, you know, you've well deserved. So I think uh, there really are no excuses now. And AI is here. It's not going away. And there are data streams that are out there. There is uh, information that should be sifted through and should be vetted before continuing on 
and all the different areas that you speak about in, in your blogger are, you know, definitely areas where AI can be used. And one thing that I liked is you had a quote in here from um, Gary. How do you how do you say his last name? Kasparov or Kasparov? Kasparov. Okay. So, um, you know, he's, he's the Russian chess player and he recognized that computers do well what humans do badly and vice versa, suggesting a useful complementarity. Uh, moreover, he argued that humans are often fallible, finding patterns in random, randomness and correlations where none exists. Computers can help us be more objective and amplify our intelligence. And he even formulated his own theorem, which he calls Kasparov's Law, and it reads, weak human plus machine plus better process is superior to strong human and machine and inferior process. So if you've got somebody like that who plays a strategic game like chess and realizes the benefits of AI, I think other people need to take that into their uh, calculations on how to proceed forward on uh, business relationships. So Jay, um, I guess what I really wanted to explore with you is is this last point of the the melding or the wedding of of uh, machine AI with human, and I would see in the uh, the work that affiliated monitors does clearly you're going to need the human element. Uh, you need the skill level of uh, Eric and uh, and uh, y'all your other partners uh, who have been. Uh, uh, longtime practitioners in these areas and can assess uh, quickly and properly uh, information that comes in uh, about both uh, things that uh, need further investigation, things that might rise to the level of a, a ethical violation or things that might even uh, rise to a higher level of nefariousness. But it's that um, utilizing or utilization of the human experience and the human judgment that Kasparov really talks through, and uh, I think it's where compliance is going forward. I, I am not a person who's afraid of this. I don't think you're ever going to take away the human judgment part of it. So I was wondering if, if you guys have really been able to start to wed the, the professional judgment and expertise that um, folks at Affiliated Monitors might have, uh, or have you seen that uh, you know, from uh, any of your prior uh, you know, employers where you were really able to kind of wed that together uh, in a way that that uh, exemplified Kasparov's law. I think one of the things that we're able to do, and you know, uh, again, I wouldn't say it's rocket scientists or rocket science, but it's just about using common sense. I remember one situation we were, were doing work uh, for an oil company. And they had 10 different contracts that they wanted to have translated. And we looked at it and to do each one of those contracts individually would have cost $30,000. And then they said, do you have a different approach here where you might be able to, you know, get the same results, but save us some money. And the um, solution that we came up with was taking the one contract that was most like the other nine contracts and translating that from page one. And then those other nine contracts, we conformed, we, we conformed the newly translated contract to match those other nine ones. And suddenly the price went down from $30,000 to $10,000. So that was us, you know, putting on our thinking cap and figuring out, well, what is the best way that we can leverage technology 
i.e., you know, find repetition, uh, find places where we can do the work once and slot that back in. So I think when you look at those types of solutions, that's really uh, taking the prescription that Kasparov speaks to. That it's the I, the problem was how do you con- how do you translate 30 contracts? And the answer was let's use a little human intellect and figure out a strategy, and then let's use the AI to translate, and then let's go back in and substitute in all the sections that we've translated and tweak the things that are different. So I think that that you know that really um, shows that type of approach and how it can work um, in terms of what needs to happen sometimes on a, a monitorship perspective is that you're going into a, a company, um, you have a, a directive from a settlement agreement that says we need to show the following changes uh, in the company's program. So go in and find these things. And when we're going in, sometimes we actually, you know, do need to use the AI from our perspective to uh, take a look at historical data, to take a look at things that uh, may have failed in the past, and how do we come up and, you know, strengthen those controls so moving forward the company can make right decisions. So let me see if I can put that in a different different uh, uh, calculus. I was listening to a podcast uh, this morning, Freakonomics, with, and it had Steve Ballmer on it. And it was a wide-ranging uh, uh, topic or discussion, as you might guess. It uh, touched on the, uh, the L.A. Clippers, but it also touched on his Microsoft career. And the, um, the host um, basically said, how could Microsoft have been so wrong about smartphones? And um, I thought Ballmer had a really interesting insight, and he said that Steve Jobs did two things. One, he did the technical innovation, which uh, Ballmer certainly saluted, um, uh, to come up with the uh, concept of the iPhone and basically having a computer in your hand. But he said the, the part that Microsoft completely missed that Jobs figured out was that they figured out the business equation of actually making that computer affordable and they did that by wedding it to a phone, having AT&T as a development partner to put the computer into the phone. And the most important insight was that they were able to um, spread the cost to the consumer uh, instead of the cost of a computer in your hand. It was now spread into a monthly charge baked into your phone bill, which was just a few dollars more than your phone bill would have been. And so that they were able to essentially fund the development of the um, delivery mechanism of the computer into the smartphone, but they were able to drive the price down actually by putting it into the phone. And what you just described, Jay, in the process you guys went through uh, when you were able to take that contract price down, to me, that, that was exactly that description. You were able to use a technological solution to come up with a better business option, and that business option was what made that particular deliverable you had for that customer um, financially viable. And so you made a sale. Uh, on that translation for those those contracts, which may it would have been cost prohibitive at thirty thousand, but at ten thousand it was a different uh, discussion and equation for the customer. 
that entire discussion is what I would like to see in compliance because as compliance evolves and compliance moves forward and and uh, over the years we've we've heard many people talk about what's the ROI of compliance uh, we've seen papers around what's the ROI of compliance well uh, I think that we can actually move past that to what's the um, the business uh, opportunity for utilizing compliance and if we can bring these Comtech solutions, uh, technological solutions, AI solutions into the compliance world, you can make your delivery of whatever that is much more financially viable and uh, then in turn make your company run more efficiently so at the end of the day it's going to run more profitably. So I was really intrigued by your description of how you were able to use uh, uh, AI, Comtech, uh, around uh, translations of contracts to create a viable financial option for not only your, your company, which made money, but also the customer. So that's um, really the, the great strength of where I see AI going for the compliance uh, function. Yeah, this will be something that I, I think is an area that we're, we're going to see more and more um, you know, innovation in. And I know you and I always find new companies at our conferences who are making, uh, you know, incremental progress and getting the cost down and also increasing the efficacy of the solution. So, Jay, uh, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time, but I was wondering if you might have any um, uh, hints or uh, even highlights of the Jay Rosen Weekend Report for our listeners. Yeah, what, I, what I'm going to do is uh, do a summary of the different sessions that uh, I'm going to today. Uh, and it's a real, you know, since it's a one-day um, conference, there's a, a real a broad spectrum of subjects that we're looking at. Uh, some of them are very timely. Uh, first session is an overview of the changing landscape of employment law. Then we're going to something that has been in the news for the last week or so, cyber threats and defense and FBI perspective. Uh, we're going to take a look at the Yates memo one year later. Uh, Stephanie Yonakura, who's a partner at Hogan's Level, is going to touch that. And a couple of my friends, um, Sue Gong and Paul Sturette, are going to be talking what we were just discussing, data science investigations and privacy implications. And uh, finally, going into the home stretch, um, there's um, some folks from PwC and Alan Gibson from Microsoft uh, was supposed to be joining, but he's not. Uh, the subject is using big and little data to build a proactive risk management program, which is exactly what we're discussing. And then at the end of the day, uh, Leonard Shen from Visa is going to be speaking about soft skills and tips or success for compliance and legal professionals. So there's... Uh, Expected to be about um, 75 folks here, mostly from the West Coast. So I'm uh, really looking forward to the conference and hope to give you my thoughts uh, when I'm going home on the plane tonight. So that's what I'm doing. Um, Tom, did you were you in Philly this week? And anything to uh, speak speak on about that? So uh, yeah, a couple of uh, events in Philadelphia. One uh, um, I put on a uh, training session with uh, our friend Jonathan Marks of the Markham firm for the um, Institute of Internal Auditors in Philadelphia. And then uh, I put on a, a very interesting uh, presentation with Ben Lockwin, um, kind of a, a um, pharmaceutical uh, 
type maven at a pharmaceutical conference where we talked about risk, risk assessment, and drug pricing. But uh, Jay, if uh, if there are any listeners who are on the fence about going to a Compliance Week starting uh, Sunday night and uh, Monday in Washington, I hope you will uh, consider joining us. I'm leading a panel of uh, Ren McEachern and uh, Kara Brockmeyer. I'm also on a panel with Joe Mont and uh, Bill Coffin, the uh, uh, editor-in-chief of uh, Compliance Week. Um, listeners to this podcast can uh, receive a discount. So uh, if you're on the fence and you'd like to go, please uh, consider joining us. It's, uh, as always, one of the top uh, annual uh, compliance-related conferences. So with that, Jay, you want to take us home? Sure. So uh, on behalf of my colleague and cohort, Hort, Tom Fox, the Compliance Evangelist, and myself, Jay Rosen, Mr. Monitor. We'd like to thank you for uh, listening in and uh, joining us discussing the FCPA week that was for the week ending May 19th, 2017. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week in FCPA. If you've listened to this podcast on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it if you would rate our podcast as it would help in the rankings and also help get out the word about the only weekly pa- uh, podcast wrap-up. Also, if you have any questions, please email me at tfox at tfoxlaw or jrosen at jrosen at affiliatedmonitors.com. This is Tom Fox. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of This Week in FCPA, and I hope you'll join us next week for another edition. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.